You're listening to Movies for Decades. Welcome to Movies for Decades, the history film podcast where we watch a century's worth of movies starting in 1921 and ending in 2021. We are on 2011. We watched Contagion. I'm John Alby. I'm Colin Alby. And I'm Helen Cottingham. And it's just the three of us. We don't have a guest this week. No guests. We're kind of speeding towards the end. And um, here's a movie that uh, we were around for, obviously, in 2011. We were grown-ups by yeah. 2011. 20, you know, 2011 is the year I think I really settled on. I'm not saying 2000 anymore. Yeah, I started saying 20. What did I just say? You said 2011. Yeah, I, 2011, I oh, guess I, 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 I still... I in my little, like, my delivery brain. But yeah. I still alternate. I didn't really start saying 20 until it started to be too much of... I think until 2020. I think 2012 is definitely where I was like, yep, over. Like yeah, I think that's I might, true. I might, have been, I might have been like 60-40 in the 10 years ago. I think I was 50-50 all the way till 2020, but whatever. So <laughs> the other thing is, this is a movie, I think this is the first one on our podcast, where uh, the movie we're covering today is Contagion, a not remotely topical movie at all <laughs> in the era we live in. Uh, it's also the first movie that we've seen where I actually saw it in the year 2011. Oh. So this is... In the theater? Yes. Wow. I saw this at the Dollar Theater. Nice. I uh, wasn't even aware of this movie. Yeah. Yeah, this seems like a Dollar Theater movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. The uh, Yeah, so I, I think it came out in September, and I think... I feel like I saw it like... So it came out... Oh, shit, I might have seen it in 2012. Possible. No, I think I did see it in 2011. It was like it had been out because you know the Dollar Theater. It's yeah, a couple it months after stuff, it comes yeah. out. So yeah, and it was you know again a movie I wasn't super interested in, but Dollar Theater. But you and were in college, so in you college. could have gone during the Christmas holidays. Could have, but I went with some college friends, so I don't think it was Christmas oh, holidays. Okay. Okay. But um, anyway, so I saw it and I was like, huh, cool movie, I guess. And also, lol, Helen would hate it. Yeah. She <laughs> see it one day. Even then, you would have hated it. Yes. No, and, uh, I think I would have hated it more then. So the second time, I, I guess I'll go ahead and finish this bit. So the second time I saw this movie was April 1st, 2020. Wow. Mm-hmm. April 1st, 2020, which was the, uh, which was also the same day that I filmed the short film that I made knock knock cool so that was the same day uh, we uh we kind of wrapped we were done and then it's like well, well this has been a kind of a fun day compared to most of because april in case you don't know april 1st 2020 was peak surreal times yeah like lockdown. i think i i just recently fi- wrapped up finished w- watching tiger king you know yeah, that, yeah, that yeah, level that of it, weird that era yeah yeah I, I think I think I was talking. I was like, "Have you watched Tiger King?" You know, like on that day. Yeah, it was peak strange, and it was like, well, so we finished because you know, it was, if, if for anyone who's ever seen that short film that I made, starring me, written by me, and um, made on that one day on April first. Mm. Uh, so it was a pretty efficient little shoot, and then we were kind of like, "Well, let's hang out," and um, 
Who, who was we? Yeah, John Richards and Chase. Well, Chase came later. He just was like, oh, I'm down to do <laughs> things because we're getting. So this is peak weird south side dudes who didn't have you know like there's nothing to do so we watched this movie because and it was very much like let's watch contagion <laughs> yeah let's watch that fucking movie yeah. and also like it was it was kind of buzzing and you know there was even a comment i think i reread recently and and it was at the time it was like huh so here's this 2011 steven soderbergh movie that has been forgotten since it came out it's kind of remarkable that i even saw it yeah it was forgotten and, and then it was apparently kind of trending and people were watching it and talking about it. And it was wild to watch um, at that highly specific moment. Yeah. And it was a wild thing to watch. And it was, uh, and I remember, you know, we did the Leo DiCaprio point at the screen meme when when he's like, it's social distancing. We're like, Ey! yeah, none yeah. of us are doing that because we're, we're, you know, whatever. We're, 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 three, we're three single dudes who were very bored during this weird time. And, yeah. uh, so then, and I will say, we just watched it again, and it was also pretty wild to watch kind of on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say about that time, I was given a letter by my, my uh, employer to carry around in my vehicle. I have a work vehicle. And it was a FEMA letter or something that says it was okay for me to be driving around. Yeah. So I was given this letter to print out and carry around with me, and I was fully expecting this sort of crazy dystopian lockdown where state borders were locked down like you see in this movie, because I was given this letter, and I really thought it was incoming. If I had seen this movie around that time, I think it would have freaked me out, because I was already like thinking about it having been given this letter Yeah. Uh, by my employer. that, And it, it had said, like, this guy is allowed to purchase gas and he is allowed to be driving. And I was like, are they going to be, you know, tracking us down if you're just driving around? I really expected that. Yeah. Being given that. And, um, yeah, yeah. It was a crazy time. I think I would, it would have freaked me out to have watched it then. I was definitely like, eh, eh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess, yeah, I don't know. Do I have a darker sensibility than y'all? I don't know. I, don't know. I, I think just being like a government worker the way I am. So, you know, I'm not to not to just keep doing this like member, member, but like I remember around that time um, we were given IDs to be in our car. And um, in case, just in case, we didn't know, like if, if we might be stopped and it's like, are you allowed to be out? Yeah, that's like what John was just <laughs> yeah, saying. Yeah, so I remember that too. Like in, in my work at a TV station and they were like, well, just in case. We're gonna give you a little thing that you can keep in your car or whatever, have on you, and like, mm -hmm. and it said like my name, picture of me, media. Yeah. And I was like, and so I had that, and I'm like, yeah, right. Which turns out, yeah, right. But uh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, I, I was not aware of much of this, and at the time, Eric and I are looking at each other, being like, I'm tired of frozen pizza. Do you think it would be okay to go to Popeyes? And we went to Popeyes mid quarantine. Like we yeah. didn't go in, we drove through, but still like there were cars all over the road the whole time. Yeah. I remember I, and then I posted that picture of my face and it said media and I've typed in all caps enemy of the people. Yeah. And I got like 70 reactions on Facebook. Yeah. All of you people who reacted on that day should be ashamed of reacting to that lame of a joke. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, overall impressions of this movie, um, to get back to the movie, if you're okay with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. This movie was here to bring up memories. Yeah. So. I, yeah. I, uh, in terms of star-studded movies 
with intersecting plot lines, I prefer Love Actually. <laughs> and that's not a good movie. <laughs> I didn't like it that much. I didn't like Contagion that much. It was... Um, I mean, it's similar to Love Actually in that some of the plot threads um, are better than others mm-hmm, yeah. and uh, more engaging, even though some of the actors are fine in the plot threads that are not... But like, you know, like in the Isle of Fisher in one of the plot threads in Love Actually... There's there's definitely some there's definitely some people who I like looking at who there's, are in some bad stretches. Yeah, of Yeah, like Kira Knightley's in a bad one. Yeah, she's in a yeah, Kira Knightley's in a really bad stretch of love actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I like Alan Rickman, but his plot yeah, line yeah. is so boring. Yeah. Yeah, that's right, he's in that movie. He's in that movie, yeah. He looks ashamed to be in it the whole time. I kind of like um what is his name? Oh my god. Colin goodness. Firth. Yeah, like mm. Colin Firth's plot line is funny. But what is the guy who played uh, the original Jim in The Office? Um, and uh, Ricky Gervais is in that movie? No, 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 no. Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman. This yeah. Plot line where he's oh, like yeah. A, a body double in a sex scene, and they're like kind of cute and nervous around each other, even though oh, they're God. naked yeah. and having sex with each other. Yeah, so- that, that, is, that was cute, and that was funny. So, like. So, here's the point of John's bit. Yeah. Is that. Uh, <laughs> is that uh, Love Actually is not necessarily a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it has good parts and it has good performances. And this movie also, not necessarily a good movie, had good parts, had was, good performances. Yeah, and it was... Um, Jumbled. It was kind of procedural in a way, like a lot of disaster movies are. Like, and then this happens, and then they have to call the so-and-so, and blah, 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 blah. And, uh, you know, it didn't. it just didn't feel very... It didn't seem to have much soul to me to no. be cheesy about it. So I don't know Steven Soderbergh. Um, I'm, I'm not really a big Soderbergh fan. So therefore, and I haven't really, but by that I mean I just haven't seen a lot of his movies. But I think that's kind of his, part of his MO as a filmmaker, as a director, is that his movies are a little clinical. Yeah, and Aaron Brockovich was, but it was good. It was effective. Somehow this one wasn't as effective. I think because there's too many characters. I mean, I think the movie's pretty effective for what its mission is. Yeah. I would would say, like, what this movie is trying to do is um, pretty interesting, and I think generally pretty effective at what it's... I mean, you know, I think Soderbergh also makes a lot of, like, uh, ensemble-y movies. Yes. And so... I think this movie is actually doing the right call for the type of story, like the the what if it's trying to do. What if, what what does it look like? What if, if there's some really gnarly global pandemic, novel virus that hits? Mm-hmm. You know what? How do we tell that story in sort of this realistic way where we talk about the people on the ground dealing with that and different types of people? This is kind of this is how you would tell that story. Yeah, and like you could do it a little bit more melodramatically. Um, so I don't know. I think or movie, less melodramatically. I don't know. There, like this, what's weird about this movie is that, especially having seen it three times at three different points. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Is that it's weird how like I feel like our viewpoint on what is melodramatic in this movie and what is not. Yeah. Is colored by our experience of having experienced a pandemic a real pandemic yeah like i think some things that i like don't remember kind of raising my eyebrows at at all like uh certainly 10 years ago you know i I raise my eyebrows at now yeah well just for one thing you know you were commenting and john was saying it's a movie helen (laughs) like it's how quickly this thing unfolds yeah and like 
and here and that that hit us because obviously we saw a pandemic unfold unbelievably quickly just a gigantic tide just it was crazy to watch but this it was longer than 130 days yeah so that that kind of that piece of like like in no way would we kind of consider that a flaw if we hadn't really if we hadn't lived it, it yeah you know that's that's part of what that's that's an example yeah should we yeah. do like the plot thing or what i don't know uh, it's because this movie's so like jump aroundy and well like, like the movie... we can do the key characters in the key sections well like yeah. so i would say the the first like act of the first like 10 15 minutes have a real arc yeah yeah yeah, I mean, I, I'm more interested in approaching different characters we responded to and ones we didn't respond to rather than trying to step through the movie. Well, like, um, we'll start with, with the beginning of the movie, which is the Gwen, which is Gwyneth Paltrow coughing yeah. with, with the, on a black screen. Yeah. And then, and then we have her. So I think that part of the movie is very effective um, in terms of... Just the the horror aspect of it. Yeah, the first part was very horror movie, like yeah. Yeah. gross, scary, weird people seizing with foam coming out of their mouths, like so much more dramatic. Again, that was also very melodramatic. You know, I think also maybe one thing to defend this movie is that Obviously, COVID nineteen does not do what whatever the hell this virus does. Yeah, am I? Yeah, be whatever. Yeah, whatever. This virus is is basic. Like, really, the premise of this movie um, is: what if we had some version of the Black Death? Yeah, in or like worse world. than that, or like yeah, some kind of meningitis that yeah. makes you have a seizure and die within three days. Like, it's yeah. so much worse. Yeah. So that's than... kind of that's the real premise of this movie. Now, of course, a lot of people behaved like that's what we experienced in real life yeah but um that's you know i do feel like maybe the sped up timeline makes a little more sense based on what the 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 virus that's in the actual story yeah so shrug yeah i don't know there's a lot that uh it's just seemed i guess fanciful um, something that i was feeling as uh the first Story. We, we left the first characters, like we left Matt Damon. I remember thinking, are we not going to have this whole movie be just about him processing his trauma mm-hmm. from his stepson and wife dying? And we kind of revisited, but really we kind of veer away from that. And I was a little like, you could make one movie. That's just that. Yeah. You could make one movie out of a lot of these storylines. Yeah. Um, I think that was a, a frustration for me because I was interested in some of it. I, I really feel like... I mean, again, having lived it, and maybe you're right that that's not a fair criticism, but, I mean, me, I feel like you could make all kind of movies just focusing on minute aspects of a pandemic rather than trying to do the whole thing. It just didn't work for me, this bird's-eye view of everything. It didn't It didn't bring me there. Yeah, so I'm trying to think. Um... I really liked Kate Winslet's timeline. She seemed really competent. It's like they, the best storylines in this movie are the ones where they they leaned in on the horror the most. Yeah. And therefore they killed people. Like like part of, I think one thing that's it's it's actually I think brilliant that you have Gwyneth Paltrow. Famous, famous, famous star. Famous, famous who and and put her on immediately and kill her really quickly. Yeah. I even think it's it's a 
you know, it, it reinforces what this movie's about. And I think that's also true with the Kate Winslet storyline. Uh, you know, yeah, that they also who, she's brilliant in this movie. And the, again, this movie, even even her, they're like competent person who's dealing with the problem, and she's kind of the movie's hero for like you know basically thirty minutes there. Yeah, and then but even though like nope, nobody even, even someone who's ostensibly the hero gets killed by this virus. Yeah, you know, so that's a bold thing this movie's doing. I think maybe a problem is that. She's kind of by far the best character. Yeah. Yeah. And and the best the actor, in, best the actor in the movie and and it's maybe And that's saying something cuz this is star-studded. It's, star-studded. it's packed with famous people. Kate Winslet's pretty, you know, low-key top tier though. That's yeah. part of it. But uh but then then but I think, you know, that's like okay, that's that's a, that's a great this is maybe an example of the pitfalls of, of making a movie with that, that kind of bold choice is that if you do that, that really helps this movie's story, I think. But the trade-off can be, are your other characters good enough to carry the rest of the movie? Yeah, or are you now you disinvested know? and yeah, being like... like <laughs> because I think that's maybe a flaw of this movie is that the, the movie boldly kills off Kate Winslet halfway through. So they should have switched Kate Winslet with the lady who developed the vaccine, maybe? I don't know. But definitely that's a flaw of this movie is that all of the rest of the characters, none of them are re- are remotely as engaging as as she, as she is, or you know, even Matt, Matt Damon. Damon. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Matt Damon. Um, and I was interested in Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah. Interested, but like... Yeah, he he was mostly a stuffed shirt, though. Like he was in the he offices. Was, he was kind of exposition. Yeah. Explaining broadly what was happening. Jude Law is an interesting character. I was interested yeah. in his storyline, definitely. And yeah. uh, he definitely made me angry uh, in today's context. But I mean, that was kind of his point. Yeah. As yeah. A, as a character. And that was another kind of with the retrospect thinking like, oh, there's only one of these YouTubers. There's only one miracle cure. Oh, but I mean, they had to do that to cut for time. But I think still- the most anachronistic thing about this movie, and I was thinking about this uh, even before we started watching and of course rewatching and confirmed it. The most anachronistic thing about this movie is, you know, not the blog stuff. The fact that he's a blogger. That's like, okay, sure, fine. That's, but like this movie and it's it's actually kind of crazy to think in the year 2011, we didn't know that social media was going to be like the heartbeat of the internet. Yeah. And and the heartbeat of the culture. Just 10 years ago, I feel like, like we were on Facebook. You know, social media was a big deal and people were on it pretty much constantly. But I think just 10 years ago, like social media, Twitter, Facebook was not considered the heartbeat of like like where people uh, go for news where where people just kind of go to like even just 10 years ago was not what it was just a few years later yeah like it is sort of it became the sort of heart of like well the internet for sure yeah like people's social media accounts became where people and things got talked about on the internet and it's weird how 10 years ago that wasn't entirely true. So it's not like this movie fails to portray reality. It's just just 10 years ago. Like, yeah, we weren't quite there yet. Yeah. I think that was like weird to watch. But obviously this movie was prescient in how, you know, the power of the Internet and, and, and how, how it influential would, a crackpot. How would influential be. a crackpot can be. Yeah. Yes. I think one thing that's overcooked about that plot line is that like 
actually something in this movie I think it's wrong is that they make him a crackpot who's corrupt, who's like a cynical uh, trying to make a buck off this. Yeah. You know, like I think, I think in reality we are, it's crackpots who are a hundred percent sincere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fully really believe. Are, are true believers who are losing money on yeah, they're losing money trying to promote it and stuff. They're spending money mm-hmm. on equipment and cameras and things and yeah, and travel and stuff. Those QAnon people were in the hole. Yeah, <laughs> trying to promote Q. Now I will say that this guy is not quite QAnon, um, sure. especially considering how uh, you know the, the people who have who are asking questions about how the power the government and cdc and all that are are handling a pandemic crisis like those people are not always entirely loons i would say watching this movie i don't know how much i want to go into this but like i do feel like here and there going like one thing that's been tough for me about this past couple years is how often i'd be like are we really doing the right thing with some of this some of the policies and ways we're handling this pandemic and and i got a little bit of a like so you're Jude Law? Yeah. You're Jude Law right now? And I'm like, no, I'm not Jude Law from this movie. Right yeah, now. no. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. It's dark. Um, bleak. <laughs> it's bleak. bleak. Um, yeah, and the, my least favorite plot line was uh, Batman villain girl. Marion. Marion, yeah, Cotillard's plot line. Like, she was just a legit person trying to solve the mystery from the WHO in Hong Kong. She was on to something, and then she gets completely sidelined, kidnapped by her counterpart from Hong Kong. So I'm that his about village. That was Hong Kong, or if it was Shanghai, or uh, where, what that was exactly. Yeah, I think it was Hong Kong. But... Because it was a village way, like I don't know. I'm I'm not. I'm confused, I'm confused by... about it. Yeah, and so she gets kidnapped either way, so that all of the survivors from his village can get the vaccine first. And it's just like that's just that just seemed sweaty and weird and sweaty. Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah they did not really. develop that plot line, and then they sort of returned to it after a good like 20 minutes of ignoring it or something yeah then they come back to it and they're like and and she leaves her plot line ends with her going back to that village yeah that's it that's all we get from the movie in terms of that storyline it seems like the whole thing needed to be cut yeah because it just leaves me with so many questions and not like interesting questions like some plot lines end vaguely and you're left to imagine things that I don't think I, it, it provokes my imagination. I think I'm just frustrated. Yeah. By it. The only thing I was thinking about is, is it maybe is the only part of the movie that deals with the fact that the WHO has a slightly shady relationship with certain, um, with certain sort of dictatorial countries. And, but I don't think that's really what this movie's trying to do. Yeah, and I don't think they really said that very clearly. No. Yeah, and make a whole movie about that. Yeah. Don't just sort of pepper it in. Shit or get off the pot. Yeah. You know? It's they, just it's just definitely a part of the movie that like they are kinda like it's almost like that move that part of the movie's in there because it's dramatic and it's um 
it's 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 for the drama. They needed some conflict in the movie because because otherwise the movie the, the conflict of the movie is just dealing with the damn virus. I mean, there was the conflict of um, Fishburne's telling his fiance to get out of Chicago, and then he had that huge yeah. media blow up where he got basically fired, but they couldn't fire him because they didn't have anyone to replace him with, and because it was feels... favoritism and stuff, and and even the Jude Law stuff is sort of conflict, but it's also just social commentary. Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't... I don't dislike the Jude Law developments, really, but I do feel like Lawrence Fishburne's whole plot, again, with all the controversy and him uh, making a mistake or whatever and having to testify before Congress, that's its own movie. Yeah. There's a lot of moving parts there. You know, I didn't feel like certain other things like them developing the vaccine, um, I, I didn't feel like that needed its own movie. That, I felt like, plugged into Which... the story broadly yeah but um these other plot lines they just kept introducing complications that they never really went into which i just am yeah and you know if we want to go there i feel like the most dangerous problematic actual implication part of this whole movie is the vaccine development because i think it feeds the fear that people try to say that it was rushed and it wasn't tested well enough because they make this movie look like one monkey survived in one lab, so then one lady gave herself the vaccine, and then it was approved to be given to everyone else overnight. And if you walk out of this movie thinking that's how vaccines are made, then yeah, I wouldn't want to get one either, because that's sketchy. You know, and <laughs> no, I, I, you got more to say about that? No, you can say, you can respond. No, no, no. I, I still feel like that's maybe not entirely fair criticism of this movie. Yeah, I mean, well, they were trying to rush it, but... Well, it's also because in some ways there's a lot of things they get about that right, which is the fact that compared to the way the CDC and the FDA normally works, this was like a rush job. There was yeah. a federal program called literally Operation Warp Speed. Yeah, yeah. I do think something this movie... I like about this movie and that part of the plot is that it portrays the people who made the vaccine as heroes yeah in, in, who were up day and night frantically yeah. doing everything they could think of and it's like i feel like it's almost something that's sort of been missing about this is that those people who made this real life vaccine are heroes yeah and I, so i actually almost think this movie could have leaned into that more in terms of portraying them heroically but i'm also like how do you do that yeah I don't, I, I, how do you do that how do you actually do that better than this movie did yeah, I don't know. I feel like somehow show more than one lab. Again, it could be a whole movie. Again, it's just like it needs this to movie be... This movie was only so prescient. Yeah, it was... Part of yeah. What, and I guess I'm circling... I keep circling back to that. Is this movie is incredibly prescient, but it's like, you know, we're, we're, it's, we're criticizing it for it not being prescient enough. Yeah. And that's... We're criticizing it for not being made 10 years later. Yeah. yeah. And I understand your point. Yeah, I, I don't mean to keep making that point, but yeah. I guess I just keep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get it. I get that's it, it's worthy to to rein us in that way. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, I think you and I, Helen, could go on all day about how it's like it wasn't, it wasn't how a pandemic really. Yeah. Is. <laughs> well, I think it's you kept saying during the movie, John, literally during you kept saying Helen is going like, "Well, well, that's not right," and you're like, "It's a movie." Yeah. Was like. Zeroing in on these tiny little scientific things, you know? and I'm like, it's a movie. They're not going to think about tiny little scientific things. Yeah. The fact that they were as scientific as they were was impressive. Yeah. It's kind of like remember when Gravity came out, 
and uh, everybody was talking about the uh, physics of outer space and whether or not it was accurate in gravity. Yeah. And um, somebody was like, well, the fact that we're talking about it in this detail speaks to how accurate it was. True. Um, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, okay, we're, here we are dissecting. We're quibbling. Engine, yeah. But that, I think that speaks to how good of a job they actually did rather than how good a job they didn't do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah, I wonder if they had maybe left out some of the WHO stuff and edited down the Fishburn stuff some more and oh well. Yeah. Um, um, I even think I was kind of prepared for my hackles to get raised a little bit watching this time about how I think there were a lot of bad policies specifically. I think a lot of the lockdowns were terrible and like a real dark legacy. That's my take. I'm not saying this is the pod's take. It's my take that I think the lockdowns were a horrible mistake and i think a lot of there were a lot of missteps uh that our government and governments around the world made in dealing with this thing and the real life thing and so i was a little bit ready for this movie to raise my hackles a little bit in terms of maybe it sort of promoting some of that what was to come but i feel like even watching this i'm like no not really this movie's just kind of I don't know if that that's even what this movie's doing. Yeah, I wonder if we can ever separate ourselves from the current pandemic and this movie ever again. I don't think anybody can. I mean, well, because I, I think maybe this movie was fine. supposed to just be a horror film, just another disaster flick, you know, as unlikely as Armageddon, you know? And instead... I mean, the thing is that this movie, in some ways, has been given another life because of that because like i yeah. said it had been forgotten yeah it's like one of those i was movies, never aware of it It had been forgotten until until a certain you know until november you know march 2020 yeah it was pretty much a forgotten movie that came out you'll always have somebody on the internet tweeting hey remember that movie that nobody else saw yeah <laughs> this was a movie that, i think yeah. soderbergh fans you know you know will have things to say about they like basically the main people who would have watched it in the future are soderbergh fans who are in his filmography yeah and <laughs> so anyway yeah yeah wow wow so let's can we go off of current events and stuff and talk about filmmaking okay because this is the first movie that we have watched on this pod that was digital. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a real big fan of digital always. Sometimes I am. I'm, I don't have a very good eye for it. Sometimes I'm like, that movie looked like it was filmed through saran wrap and it was really ugly and I can't put my finger on why and I'll look it up and be like, was it shot on film or digital? And then it'll be shot on film. It'll be like, well, well then why did it look like garbage then? And I, is it is there anything to... This not as good of a quality. Well, here we come, and now we t we're at uh, <clears throat> we're to one of our ongoing themes of this podcast, <laughs> which is Helen asks a pretty good, not that complicated question about filmmaking, and the so-called filmmaker in the group maybe poorly answers it. Oh, okay. Well, I know well, you're not a cinematographer. Well, maybe yeah, that's so, not like the fairest question to ask you, but well, like it I is significant say, that like ten years ago, Shaolin Soccer was on film. Digital cameras weren't as commonly used, and now here we are in 2011. It did go fast. Yeah. And, and part of it is that digital digital cameras did improve by leaps and bounds, mm -hmm. you know, the technology around it. And the other thing that maybe isn't emphasized enough 
is it's not just the digital cameras were kind of became more convenient and easily. It's that it's that color correction became king. Yeah, like uh, every see that in this movie. This well, movie is so color movie, corrected. Every movie is heavily color corrected. Yeah. Every this movie, movie. looked like movies sick shot and on yellow film. and grody. Movies shot on film are color corrected digitally okay. nowadays. So yeah, okay. so it's like There's really no telling. So that's part of what is by by the year 2011 that had kind of like that the combo of digital cameras and and every movie get has at least some color correction had kind of taken over filmmaking mm-hmm. and and well and that had that change had that change had done happen by 2011 yeah and so um and and of course obviously it's easier to color correct when it's already digital yeah so so it, i see a sort of greenish hue over everything for a certain stretch of movies especially like thrillers and you know dramatic movies and i think it's like the matrix effect the matrix yeah. came out and they're like let's put a little green or gray or yeah. whitish let's make it look kind of yellow let's make it let's make everything look like this. Yeah. it's dramatic it's yeah it infected drama in a way you know at first it was like action films were heavily color corrected i do think late aughts early teens it was especially bad and yeah. this movie looked like that. It looked yeah. downright ugly in parts. Like, and I think that that was maybe trying to add to the like sickness and filth kind of sure. atmosphere. Yeah, that's, that's a and, trick in the toolbox. Yeah, yeah, but it was kind of heavy-handed. Like, yeah. it very it looked uh, people looked unreal. Matt, Matt Damon definitely like let's just make it look as fluorescent lighting as possible when he's sad. I do feel like that's kind of Soderbergh's look, though, is that his movies, I don't, I'm, again, I'm no Soderbergh expert. I've only seen maybe a couple of his movies, but I think his movies tend to be a bit flatly lit, kind of realistic, what modern day looks like kind mm-hmm. of movie. Like, I think that's what his movies kind of try to do is like he makes movies about the modern day and he makes them kind of look like unsexy. Yeah, you know, in terms of his, how his movies look, and who, you know, that's not a hundred percent true, but because uh, he did direct Ocean's Eleven, which is all about making, you know, sexy actors look hot, you know. Mm-hmm. But I mean, still, um, I guess one other maybe note while you know while we're talking about digital filmmakers, you know, the movie and the filmmakers that really like fully leaned into this whole color correcting revolution was the Coen Brothers. Oh. And the movie was Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Right. Which was the sort of first movie, really. First big movie. Well, first mainstream movie. Was it even mainstream? First, first widely released. First widely released movie <laughs> where the entire thing is heavily color corrected. But that made that movie look cool. Yeah, I yeah. remember that was the first time I knew something was up. And I was a yeah. kid watching movies. And I knew that stuff looked weird and it it takes a lot for a kid to notice yeah and i just remember thinking like what did they do to this movie why is it like that i was annoyed by it at first because i was a kid and i was used to cartoons and stuff (laughs) everything was the color is supposed to be and very much the color is supposed to be and i remember being confused like why is it almost black and white in this scene and then it's very vibrant in another scene that was just very jarring for me i didn't like watching that movie at first 
Because in the night scenes, it was practically black and white in Oh Brother. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I remember that was part of the wonder of seeing that movie because it was the first Coen Brothers movie I ever saw. And I saw it in the theater. And not only were people speaking in ways that I had never heard before, but the whole thing looked like something I'd never seen before. And it was a borderline religious experience. But um, <laughs> you've never heard people talk like that. You're from Alabama. No. <laughs> Everybody talks like that, right? But like how it looked like old timey just in every moment yeah but so okay there's some filmmakers do it right and some i do think also like something i've noticed in movies recently that i want to shout out to is um is i one of the i don't know about all color correcting corresponding to genre tropes but you know, it, basically every movie set in the past, like set in the 60s, is kind of brown and warm, sort of brown color. Yeah, yeah. I think we're moving away from that. I'm seeing more and more movies that are set in like the 60s, 70s, you know, like that try to imitate the warm sort of film look or maybe are shot on film. They're less brown than they used to be. Yeah. They look like, they look like it's set now except the set design. Yeah, they, there's definitely the let's fall into the sepia tone trap of it's yeah. the past, so it's all sepia tone. Yeah. No matter how far in the past we are, except for the 80s. The 80s gets this past because they're like, everybody knows that the 80s were fluorescent. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, you need to color correct for that. Part. Yeah, but uh, so like this 2011, this movie was kind of peak or the trailing off end of extreme color correction break the knob off in every movie kind of situation i mean is i do that... think this movie was we were, were fully in the world of movies are color corrected according to genre i think okay like i think that be, it, at some point it, it became a little bit of a meme hmm. to go like to make fun of like movies color tone according to their genre yeah movies set in mexico are very brown you know yeah so but i feel like later on like i feel like that was only like really became meme like four or five years ago yeah where people really started to lean in like like call it out and it's toned down since then yeah so i think this movie is before it started to be really called out yeah breaking bad oh my goodness breaking bad bless its heart it's like shot underneath a pool in mexico or whatever (laughs) like the sky is somehow this chlorine blue yeah and then everything else is just orange. And it's yeah. Oh, yeah. And Cranston, Cranston was in this movie. Brian Cranston was in this, this movie. Just, just had a lot of actors. Yeah. It was a procession of just like, and here's somebody famous, and here's somebody famous. And, yeah. Yeah. It was flu actually. <laughs> flu actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was meaning to shout it out, but I was not on my head. But a movie I saw last year, Judas and the Black Messiah, was the first movie where I was watching it and went like, this movie's set in the late 60s and it looks like modern day except for the set design and, and, and you it's know it's not brown and it's not artificially brown thank you yeah so i just wanted to shout that out <laughs> yeah very cool yeah so that's something yeah i definitely remember that from that time but i guess i'm just because i don't have a very trained eye and i don't know that like oh that's color correction and sometimes i'll be watching a movie from this era and be like this just looks cheap and I can't put my finger on what's ugly about I it. I think that was more of a problem in like, um, or like I think by 2011, digital cameras had kind of caught up. Yeah. And, it was, and between digital cameras and color correction, it was like, yeah, good luck really, really spotting good. the difference between film and. But like, I think maybe up until about 2005 ish, mm. you know, 
I feel like a lot of movies, I, I think I know what you're talking about. That sort of digital camera look still didn't look great. Yeah. But I think by this point, it was, it, it was, yeah. it was, it was kind of, you know, it was over, you know, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. So yeah, 2011 era of color correction, but state of the art. Yeah. Digital cameras. Okay. Yeah. So, cause that was the main difference I noticed between this and Shaolin soccer. And I mean, and this is also a post nine 11 movie. Yeah, I'm not sure I can point to an example. I mean, aside from the fact that it's a disaster movie, and did disaster movies uptick? I or... believe, I mean, I'm sure they did. I'm sure that, I'm sure they were. I think a disaster movie could get away with being a little fun before. Before 9-11, and they had to be deadly serious oh, after 9-11. Yeah, probably. That's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could get away with being a little, like, diehard, you know? It's a... Yeah. Well, I mean, when was White House down? When did that come out? Yeah, I think I think that's not a that's yeah. not a disaster movie. Okay, that's where they no they blow up the White House. There's a, some movie. There's no, some that's action. not a disaster movie. Okay. That's an action movie in which the president gets abducted by terrorists. Okay, and what, so that's Gerard like a Butler super, has to save him. Okay, so that's a super post 9-11 Like yeah. terrorists are the bad guy and Americans are the heroes. Okay, never mind. Yeah. So this movie was a hit. I'm just curious. Oh. Like, yeah. What, yeah. I mean, I saw it in the theater. I probably yeah it was sixty million dollar budget and it made 136 million so people people saw this thing well having a lot of actors i wasn't seeing any movies in 2011 i was doing homework we were all free in college yeah Yeah. that's rare you know that we can point to a a section where we're all three in college yeah yeah so i don't know if i remember hardly anything that came out then i did but yeah i wasn't seeing i was in montevallo and I didn't have a car at that point. Yeah. I was like, who's going to give me a ride to see Contagion? Yeah. No and if I was going to go to a movie, it wasn't going to be Contagion. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think college was a pretty fruitful time for me seeing movies. Well, you were a film major. You were yeah. in town. You were yeah, in I was in town. I was in the city. city. Yeah. yeah. Like, we, John and I both went to rural colleges. So, like. Yeah. No, I, I, I was generally always of a place of where, like, going to see a movie on Friday, Saturday night was a perfectly good option. You know, so, you know, I was seeing movies and yeah. I was kind of enjoying the fact that I was like, you know, obviously still an early adult who could see whatever I want. Yeah. You know, so anyway. Yeah. So I missed this. And I mean, this movie would have truly horrified me. I know. It's uh, you didn't <laughs> I mean, I waited years to see Andromeda Strain because I knew it would upset me too much. You talk about your lifelong i mean i've tried sort of tried to touch on it on the what about bob episode with my health anxiety stuff because it's been as long as i've known yes you, since i'm you know 30 years old <laughs> that's how long i've known you um, yes yeah. i've been terrified of being sick since i can remember i think since i was born because i had colic and i think that's just because my body felt bad and even baby me couldn't handle weird feelings in my body I, I don't think I've ever been able to handle it and the idea of it freaks me out in the most visceral indescribable way and movies about it freak me out and, this... and her brothers have always been very compassionate and understanding <laughs> about this I remember like just from, from forever ago you were always super articulate about updating everyone and exactly how you were feeling sometimes <laughs> I would feel bad and I'd be like I feel weird. Honestly, as, as, as the best I can and I would be weird. like, my fingernails hurt. And we're like, I am feeling a little short of breath. 
<laughs> Honestly, Helen, you deserved every time we made fun of you because you scared us. I know. I you was... scared me. <laughs> you would scare us with how scared you'd like. You'd, you'd say like, there's a new disease I've heard of that is terrifying. And I'm scared of getting it. And I was a little kid too. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm a little scared too. So what choice did I have? But yeah, well, typical brother situation. I mean, it was self-protection. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you were... Very young. I was very young, but SARS was a thing. This would have been. This years. is yeah. kind of what this movie's based on. With SARS, SARS. well, okay. and swine flu. What year was that? SARS, two thousand two. Two thousand five or six. And swine no, flu was like two thousand ten or what? eleven. Because oh, I, I had swine flu. Yeah, because Eric's parents had swine flu, and I knew Eric at that point, and I met him in two thousand nine. So you know, I had a. I, that was a. That was um, September two thousand nine. That I got swine flu it was my it was the start of sophomore year. We we had a session where we played straight through Beatles Rock Band as soon as we got it, mm. and 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 towards the once we kind of got past Sergeant Pepper, I'm like, is it just Sergeant Pepper or am I like kind of <laughs> feeling like body achy and sweaty? Did Sergeant Pepper give and me then, swine flu? And then and then and then by the time we finished, by the time we got through the Let It Be stuff and we had finished, we'd played through. Uh, Beatles guitar. Beatles here. rock band. Beatles rock That's band. when I'm like, I am getting a flu because yeah. I have got intense body ache. And obviously we spent two hours yelling into mics and playing and that was fun as hell. But I'm like, I think I'm going to die now. <laughs> and, and, uh, and it was, I never got tested for swine flu or anything, but that was like a Friday night. And then, uh, Friday. <clears throat> and then I went back to class on Monday. Oh my God. Super and spreader event. <laughs> no, I went back to cl- Helen. Okay. We listened. You were over it. As in, as in like I was, um, so yeah, Friday night I'm like, Oh dear, I definitely have some type of flu. And then, and then Saturday is that classic, just intense lost day. Mm-hmm. And then Sunday I was like, I think I'm kind of getting better. And then like Monday I was like, I feel like I got hit by a truck, but you know, I'm fine. And, uh, and that's apparently what, that was the MO of swine flu Mm. is that that was, that was like, again, I never got tested, but the general MO of swine flu was that it was like a intense 36 hours. It came on really fast. Came on really fast and it is gone. And, um, and I think maybe that's partly one of the things that informs this movie is 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 was that experience recent in the recent past. Yeah, yeah, because that is similar to. Anyway, I remember when SARS was going on. It was two thousand two. I would have been very young. Yeah. And I remember I was talking to you. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> and, um, I was like, so what's SARS? Because I was a child. And you said, you, you said John. Sometimes you are so dense. I can't believe it. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, I just don't know what it is. I keep seeing, hearing people say SARS and you explain to me. You've dressed me down. SARS is very dangerous and it's like a flu. And I'm like, and I'm like you know, how old would I have been? Like 10 years old or something? Yeah. And, I like, and I was like, well, uh, it's just people in China right now, though. <laughs> and you were like, John. It's very serious. It could be all over the world. And I was like, I'm so sorry. Jeez. I went to, to mom and she was like, Helen's very worried about these things. You know? And she was just like, don't bother her. She, she's very don't, worried. don't she, trigger her. She's very worried about these things. And I'm like, she was kind of mean. I'm sorry. 
Oh man, that is stuck. I can't believe I haven't told you that. Oh my god. Yeah, no, I've always been that way. I've always been that way. And so like I've been preparing for COVID my entire life. I was like, finally, I knew it. It was gonna happen eventually. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So God. Anyways, yeah, it's a beautiful this story. Movie for you did well. You were not over there having a complete meltdown. Although, Colin, you reported while we were watching the movie that she was on her phone a little bit. Yeah, I was distracting myself with. Yeah, no, it's not like you to be on your phone during a movie. We're recording for a podcast. I, I was I feeling anxious, so I did some doom scrolling. <laughs> this movie is gross. Like the coughing and the foaming, and. I was a little... You, and the sweating, there's so much sweat, it's even down the backs of people's hands. Do you even have sweat glands on the back of your finger? <laughs> I can't believe you noticed that. Like, I will say, though, I will say, you know what I was triggered by? Is, what? Is I was triggered by you going, <gasps> with coughing. Because yeah. I'm, I'm like, every time I sneeze at work, and this doesn't happen as much anymore, but I would sneeze at work and people go... The road. And I'm like, and I'm like, and I just, I, for more than a year, this is, I've been like, I really can't wait to where I can just sneeze or cough if I need to. Yeah. And people will fucking shut the fuck up. Yeah. So, anyway. Ugh. I didn't realize till this pandemic, these past couple of years, that after I eat, I cough. No matter what. Yeah. No matter how I'm feeling. If I eat, I will cough a few times. And, you know. All the time I'll be at work or whatever. I have my lunch and I'll cough into my elbow or whatever, and everybody's looking at me like, "How you doing?" <laughs> I'm like, I just ate. I'm yeah, sorry, it gets <laughs> it gets your mucus going. I do that too sometimes yeah. when I eat. Not every time, but sometimes I take a bite of food and I sneeze. <laughs> like it just like something about it just gets the mucus going. I don't so what know. I'm saying is, yeah, I just, just want I just want. <laughs> Us to not give a shit about coughing anymore. Yeah, I don't know. There's something about this movie where, for the dramatic effect, they made them like hacky, sure. slimy sounding coughs. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, when you're really sick, those coughs are nasty. Yeah, they were some phlegmy coughs in this movie, and it was grossing me out in a big way. But nothing was worse than the brain sawing open scene. Which is I one about... of the calling cards of this movie. Is, and again, early in the movie, when this movie is leaning into like how scary you know, and gross. be afraid and i mean i remember seeing this movie in the theater and like i think a lot of people were in the theater that day that night and like i just do remember that that theater you know like i i kind of do feel like i lean forward in my seat as soon as i'm like they're gonna kill gwyneth paltrow right here and like uh and i think and i think i i feel like the audience got so quiet aside from the classic movie going experience people going yeah that you get but like i think that was a dead quiet theater that people did not walk out of pretty much from that part and of course the uh, with the brain sawing stuff oh my god they were looking in the brain and they went like my god i mean maybe the virus had decayed the brain turned it to moosh well like i mean meningitis is a brain infection specifically and i think that's what this movie was the m1b or whatever was this? Yeah. it was some form of meningitis yeah it was i was struggling to keep up with that um but yeah that's and they like didn't make it in- super important the yeah. details but i mean like and i think that was kind of the right call on this movie yeah which is that um Again, how do you have a bubonic black death plague 
in the modern world. I mean, obviously, in terms of being very contagious, you have COVID. But uh, but in terms of having the actual Black Death in the modern world, it would have to be like some type of thing that gives people seizures. Yeah. And can't be treated like, you know, because the bubonic plague, you can kind of just take antibiotics. And, you know, yeah. and that was why it had been so deadly in the past. But, like, I think maybe the premise of this movie is, like, what would really murder tons of people really efficiently is something that, you know, gives people seizures and they die. Like, it's a brain thing. Yeah. Meningitis thing. got away from the seizures after the Yeah, it just, the it just yeah. became a, you get a fever and you, you're dead. Yeah. yeah. They didn't focus on the seizures after the first 15 minutes or so. Yeah, because there's, I guess, like, a lot of milder cases were starting to get noticed. I don't know if... And it was actually, only the severe cases had the seizures. And so at first you only know of the severe cases and then you start testing and you get aware of the mild cases. Sure. I don't... Yeah, yeah or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but still, yeah. I think they opened the brain and it was like, this woman's brain has turned to goo. so much virus in here. <laughs> well, I this mean, won't be a brain for Frankenstein. I mean, when they autopsy people with COVID, like their lungs are jelly. So that oh, could goodness. be... Yeah. I want to know that. Sorry. <laughs> this, oh, is, yeah. uh, this is stuff I know about because I'm freaked out, so I read about it. Because yeah, that's... Goodness. Yeah, um... <sighs> yeah it's gross and terrible and this movie's scary but yeah no like i cannot handle like gut sounds and so that like like peeling open her head like oh it was so awful anyway and so right trigger in- warning <laughs> yeah. if you're if you're triggered by people dying from a horrible disease <laughs> and their brain in an autopsy happening with, yeah. with complete with a saw yeah if you're triggered by that yeah god yeah i had something else to say but i forgot it but... well like what is what is something we maybe do want to address with this movie um we haven't talked about the cheating plot line but i don't have that much to say no that was no, kind of boring that's just kind of a that was just kind of an emotional hook for matt damon you know yeah. it's fine yeah. Uh, oh, I, well, no, it works with Kate Winslet, though. The fact that she fucked up and had to, like, awkwardly... Accidentally tell him. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but, okay. The teenagers. Oh, um, yeah! Um, I love that plot line where those, those two kids, Matt Damon's daughter and, and little Andy boy across the street around yeah. they want to bang so bad. <laughs> <laughs> They're just teenagers. <laughs> I liked that. That was that brought some uh, some light. You don't know if they want to bang. They maybe just want to make out like sweet little teenagers. Yeah. You know, whatever. They're very young and very passionate, and they're into each they're other. They're not passionate. They just think they just want to make yeah, out. It was very they, cute. It was, it was. It brought some lightness, much needed lightness to the movie. Yeah. And, you know, it was really intense. Like you get the shotgun that he stole from the. Across neighbors, the neighbors who I guess were shot to death. No, something. no, that was different neighbors. Different I neighbors. think. And, um, and so he went goes, to his neighbor who he knew might have a gun. You right. all have that neighbor. Eric's that neighbor in our neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who I go to in this apartment. Now. It's, it's not me. But um, anyways, yeah, I, I liked that plot line. It just it was very fun for me. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, it had like the little mild rom commy moments, and, and it felt real to me in terms of the pandemic because like so many teenagers loneliness is huge. Yeah, and so many yeah. teenagers it's didn't get like, to go to senior prom and didn't get to graduate, and that was so many like young people really suffered during twenty twenty. What's well, also that was like, kind of the realest part, anyway. Well, it's like the, again, I I don't want to do what I've told y'all effectively not to do yeah but i do think that's one of the things this movie isn't quite prescient enough about is that that turned out to the social isolation thing turned out to be the in some ways the headliner of the real pandemic experience yeah so the fact and maybe one thing this movie doesn't emphasize is like is there wasn't just teenagers who were having a tough time with the isolation thing yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I was thinking the whole time about, you know, what do they do all day? Mm-hmm. And what did I do all day? Of course, I was able to go into my my job, so I had that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I was only um, locked down at my house for one month, and then I worked the whole rest of the pandemic. And it was like literally five days. And yeah. I was back at work. And, you know, yeah. we need we also should give credit to reality and, and to our country and how we handle in, in the world and how we handle things in that. The dystopian, the most dystopian aspects of this movie really didn't come true at all. Yeah. Like all the looting. And the looting. And like, and there was even like, I, I some, when I was doing a little bit of research for this movie, like uh, I saw like a, a article from like April or March of 2020 going like talking about this movie a little bit and going like, wow, this movie's prescient, you know, like, except it's turned out that New York City garbage collection has been pretty good. Unlike yeah. what this movie shows, yeah. you know, and like so, yeah, there there wasn't widespread looting. There was there was a lot of like running on grocery stores, but mostly the reality of that was mostly comedy. Yeah, mostly know? no toilet paper. Yeah, 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 and that really only lasted a month. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, really, like the most dystopian aspects of this movie didn't come true. We actually held up better than maybe this movie might have imagined. We yeah, would, you know. So credit to reality there. Yeah, people who were kind of public servants. I guess sort of like me, so grateful to have something to do. Yeah. There was trash collection. Yeah. There was Mm -hmm. was people keeping stuff online. Yeah. And, um, yeah, yeah, there's that. Yeah. Society didn't really break down. It didn't, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, and granted, we don't live somewhere like New York or Chicago, but... Sure, sure. But even that, as they even, said, like, New York City garbage collection kept working. I mean, the and pandemic. were there people pushing and shoving and smashing windows to get Sudafed or whatever? Like, I don't think so. No, it like, didn't yeah. happen. Yeah. People, like, got mad about how they were buying too much toilet paper and, <laughs> uh, and, and, and hand sanitizer and shit like that. But... Was it being sold and was it not being massively looted? No. Yeah. Yeah, people weren't robbing each other for hand people sanitizer. It wasn't an epidemic thing. Yeah. yeah robberies it was... or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm sure it did happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we kind of held up on that end. The movie didn't quite get that right, you know, which is good. Yeah. All right. So we're going to do... Do you have another thing? No. No? Well, like I guess the summary is uh, Contagion. Well, a movie that was very prescient. It brings back a lot of memories if you want to relive those memories. <laughs> uh, but it is I think of... not a bad movie. I, like, I actually think this is another weird example where I think I like this movie better than y'all. I think it is actually a well-done movie. I think I think it, it is actually accomplishes its mission yeah. pretty well. It's just 
I think it's fair to not like the Mission I think Impossible. I just don't like this kind of movie. I don't yeah. really think I'm a disaster movie person. I don't really think I'm a big multiple plots going on all at once. It's also just not a very emotional movie. Yeah. It's kind of a clinical movie. It felt procedural. Yeah. And I think it is. So if like if you're kind of prepared for that kind of movie going in, I think it's a you you might think it's a pretty interesting movie. Yeah. Yeah, I think it just, I didn't really respond to its structure because I'm not prone to respond to that kind of structure. But otherwise, I don't actually think it was a bad movie. I just don't think I liked it very much. Hmm. And what about the music in it, John? All that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the, it, was, it was annoying and it, it sounded extremely dated to me. It yeah. was very of its time. Like it sort of it, it, EDM, I guess you'd call it. It, it wasn't... I think some people might... Ambient electronic kind of... Yeah. say dubstep, but they would just be saying that because it's sort of a meme to sit, call things dubstep that you think are annoying and electronic. Yeah. It was this early 2000s EDM that just really... I found really grating, and the more symphonic parts were also kind of dumb sounding. They, There was this dramatic moment, and it sounded like, I think with uh, Kate Winslet... One of her scenes, they started doing this sort of like she was falling into a dream sort of arpeggiated strings thing. It was really dumb sounding. Yeah. Um, it does feel like, like, I think I remember noting around that era that I'm like, are we not doing any more symphonic music musical scores? Is it all like kind of Trent Reznor ambient <laughs> electronic stuff? Trent Reznor is what I'm thinking of, right? Yeah. Yeah. Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, yeah which he is, also makes good scores. I'll, but, I'll yeah, yeah, but, like, but this was, was kind of like dime store, dollar store resonary. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah it's like so many like dramatic kind of serious movies like this sounded had that kind of score, and I think we've gone away from that a little bit. Yeah. But yeah. anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, what else are we consuming and all that? Sure. I I'll, I'll just I don't have much. I just want to say like, how about that Beatles documentary? Loved it. Pretty cool. Oh my gosh, I haven't seen it yet. I feel yet. like if you're a Beatlephile, then uh, duh. Um, but if you're not. I think even if you're not a Beatlephile, uh, I think it's a pretty interesting film. I think one of my favorite sort of passages from it was the part where the director, well, they're asking him, like, so what kind of film have you got so far? And he says, well, I think if we're showing it how it is, we've got a great documentary. And if we're not showing it how it is, and if Ringo says, if we're, if we're hiding, yes, if we're hiding, then I don't think we have much of anything at all. You know, it's a pretty fascinating movie about sort of the process. I think Peter Jackson even called it a documentary of a documentary. Mm. Yeah. And it's a pretty sort of like, just both the behind the scenes of making the music of this huge band and also just the process of making a film. It's a weird kind of like behind the curtain fascinating thing cool and of course it's very long so yeah that's why i haven't attempted it because I, I, I just don't have time in i my do kind of like i think it's i think it's great but i'm a little bit like yeah i don't know how many non-beetle files want to watch like basically in eight hours because <laughs> that's what it is yeah. three episodes is basically eight hours and um yeah yeah i don't know wow but i mean there's a lot of people who like the beatles so probably a lot of people i think have watched it so there you go we watched it too john and i yeah yeah what am i consuming it hasn't been too long well okay oh i did listen up to all of that uh, renner files podcast oh, yeah. 
where Jeremy Renner had an app and it went completely crazy. And it's also just a show. It's only seven episodes. And it's Jeremy just, Renner? Yeah. Weird, right? Like he had an app where he posted exclusive content about himself and his fans were on it. And lots of celebrities do this, apparently, and I had no idea. So it was kind of a little dip into that world. Is wild. Yeah. It's interesting. And it's a good pod, and it's very short. It's not like one of these, you know, eight-season monstrosities. It's yeah. just seven episodes. And it's very funny, the way they present it. These girls, like the the actresses or whoever they're not they say over and over they're not investigative journalists they're just fans of jeremy renner or they're just they're just comedians comedians and they are so funny like the way they present everything is so melodramatic and so funny so yeah i highly recommend it and i'm glad i finally got around to it if you're annoyed by wondery podcasts i would recommend it yeah they think they're directly making fun of like the and now we have a revelation. Yeah, and you, you know, won't believe. And you will not believe the least, cir- the least interesting thing yeah, ever so. about this slurry. Yeah. 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 So, what have you been consuming, John? I watched Showgirls last night. <laughs> right. You know what? Um, I hope we haven't said too many controversial things this episode, but. I'm going to say something controversial now, and that is I like Showgirls (laughs) quite a lot. Um, It's one of those things, it's like, yes, I know how bad it is. Yeah. Also, I enjoyed watching (laughs) it. And and it's just one of those, you know, it's... I've seen a lot of movies that are called the worst movie ever. I've seen a bunch of them. I was, like, looking at the list on Wikipedia Mm. uh, last night of just different movies called the worst ever. And Showgirls was just so watchable, but it has all those qualities that a bad movie has to have and that it's so surreal. And you wonder if a human being wrote some of these lines. Like, who who thinks people say this stuff to each other? Who would write that down and then have actors say it? But it was also, there's just something kind of, you just never, you're never going to watch another movie like it. I think that's why I liked it. As I knew, there's just, it's just so unique and it's so itself. And it's so chaotic, and it's, you know, and and a lot of movies from that time, they're like, kind of misogynist, and then years later you watch it and you're like, oh, this rom-com is really sexist. Mm, But that one is kind of like, this is sexism, and it's kind of refreshing in this way, where it's like, no, that's why you're here, it's for horrifying things, and it's truly bizarre. And I watched immediately after it this documentary called You Don't Know Me, which is a documentary about it, which criticizes it and praises it in equal portions, you know. It, it talks about why it's good and why it's bad. And I don't know. I just had a great time. You took a deep dive. I'll, I'll, just, yeah. I'll, just, I'll just chime in and say, same here except me first. Yeah. <laughs> except except backwards because I actually saw the You Don't Know Me documentary at Sidewalk Film Festival. And then watched and I guess twenty nineteen. And uh, and then <laughs> yeah, so I watched that documentary just because I'm like I'll see this. You know, I've, I've always been interested in the concept of that Showgirls movie, and then I was kind of fascinated by it. And then like we're doing a screening of the uh, still sort of softly open uh, Sidewalk Cinema, and it was like fine i guess i'm going all in on showgirl so i saw it there uh 
Yeah, it's definitely a bad movie because, I mean, there's a lot of things that apparently Paul Verhoeven says like, well, yeah, that's part of the point is that it's weird. It's like, no, 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 that's some Tommy Wiseau explaining there. (laughs) There are some things that are too bonkers about the movie to not be a bad choice. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and uh, but I mean, it is definitely like, I think you kind of have the normal take on it now, which is that it's a fascinating movie and it's far too well made and you know to uh and too interesting to to really truly be i mean it's watchable yeah. <laughs> anyway it's it's a good time and, and, and the, the dialogue, dialogue is hilarious the dialogue is hilarious some of those lines i'm like they meant this to be funny some and then some of it i'm like do they think this is how women speak to each other <laughs> like in real life i think it's like a couple it sounds like a couple of teenage boys Imagining what strippers would say to each other, mm. you know. Oh no, some of those are the funniest it's so things. So bad. Yeah. I don't want to be caught on like saying any of those lines, <laughs> but <laughs> my that's goodness, that's part of what is so brilliantly unique about it is because it's so obvious what it is. It's so obviously stupid, and that's. I mean, it, you can't hide. It, it can't hide from itself. It's just so. It tells on itself in this way so perfectly. And I just loved it. I just loved that stupid movie. I just did. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening. Roll the dang music.